Hi, I'm Vincent Andrasani, and this is episode 16 of The Place of Sound. Thanks very much for tuning into this episode, and thanks also to those who've been following along through the last few episodes of the show. For those of you who are listening for the first time, The Place of Sound is a show that explores the theme of space, or the social geography, using sound and listening. We do so through a variety of audio media production formats, so you can expect to do a few different types of listening in a single show. Episodes consist of what we refer to as audio portraits, or oral history style interviews that explore the topic of home. Soundscape compositions, which use everyday sounds to communicate the personal and social significance of a given place. And we typically end the episode with a short documentary style piece that over recent months has explored the topic of social isolation, something we know all too well as a result of our lockdown experiences. These are the types of projects that you can expect to hear on The Place of Sound, and all of them are produced by students here at Carleton University. They're what gets produced in Comms 4501 Digital Media Production, which is a fourth-year workshop course in the Communication and Media Studies program. In the last episode, episode 15, we listened to work by Janique Gooden, Xiaoyi Chen, and Rachel Bender-Kerwell. We heard Janique's audio portrait titled Missing Warm Skies, which consisted of an interview with Janique's mum. We heard Xiaoyi's soundscape composition titled Shanghai's Riverside Promenade, which captured the many sounds of Shanghai's waterfront, an important space in the city. And lastly, we heard Rachel's audio documentary titled Silver Linings, in which Rachel reflects on her newfound connection with the natural environment, which is a way for her to remain grounded through the lockdown. In this episode, we'll listen to more student projects produced in my digital media workshop. But before we do that, we'll pause for a quick announcement by Gracie Lee Phillip. Gracie Lee is the Vice President of the Communication Student Society here at Carleton University. Gracie's going to take this opportunity to introduce herself and some of the events that CCS has planned for this academic year. Gracie Lee, and I'm the Vice President of the Carleton Communication Society, alongside Peter, our President. I'm so excited to share some of the amazing opportunities we hold every year, and new ones that are coming. First and foremost, we have the mentorship program coming in two different ways. One, the senior mentorship, and two, our original mentorship. Next, we have some amazing events such as LinkedIn workshops, Pints with Profs, or Mingle Mania. I look forward to seeing many of you there this year. And finally, I ask you to sign up to be a member through our Instagram. There you will find all our information and even our email, so feel free to reach out to ask any questions. 
Have a good day and I can't wait to meet some of you virtually or hopefully in person. As Gracie Lee mentioned, be sure to follow CCS on their Instagram account, which you can find at at society to stay up to date with everything that they have planned. this episode, we'll listen to an audio portrait, a soundscape composition, and an audio documentary. Three projects in total. The first project is an audio portrait by Ladia Omaruyi titled Finding Home. The piece is an interview with Ladia's mum Jacqueline and is on the topic of home. The second piece is a soundscape composition by Anna Zaman that reflects on his many experiences growing up in Kanata North, and in many ways is a bit of an ode to his life there as he gets set to move elsewhere with his family. And the third and final project is a documentary style piece by Brandon Huang titled Stop Asian Hate. In it, Brandon reflects on his Asian identity and describes some of the ways that he and his family have experienced racism and exclusion here in Canada. So let's begin with Ladia's audio portrait, which is not only featured here on this episode, but is also a featured project on the Place of Sound website as well. If you're interested in seeing the corresponding photos and writing that Ladia did for this project, have a look at the featured work section at theplaceofsound.ca. Ladia, over to you. Ladia, and for this audio portrait assignment, I decided to interview my mom, Jacqueline, on the subject of home. So we talked about physical home versus psychological home. We also talked about making and finding homes in different spaces. My mom has lived in a couple different countries around the world, so that idea of making home was really important. And lastly, we also talked about people as home and the importance of having friends and family in these spaces you consider home, especially right now during the pandemic. So that was our interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Home is where you feel most at ease. It's where you feel contented, is where you feel happiest. It's where you feel inspired. Home is where you also feel relaxed. Physical home for me is here in Toronto. Home is also in England and home is also in Jamaica because those are the three places that anchor my sense of self. And when I am in each of those places, I feel at home. And sometimes when I speak of going home, 
I have to specify, well, which going home are you going to? Because it's a reflection of my own migration, my own history. It's a physical and psychological home has different connotations depending on where I'm at and what I'm doing. When I go to England, it takes me straight back to my childhood. So there's a sense of not nostalgia so much, but much more in the sense of how things have changed. And if I had stayed in England, what would my life, what would my life have been like if I'd stayed in England? But the moment I land back in Toronto, it's like, yeah, I'm home <laughs> because I chose to come here. Um, and I have, I like to visit my other two homes as in England and Jamaica, but I have no interest in returning to those places to live. This is my home. Um, I'm claiming a small space on this tiny little space on this land that we share. When I think of home, it's never just the place, it's the people that are there. Especially during this time of COVID, it's really brought home the importance of having friends and family. Um, living in an apartment, especially by myself, yeah, it's home, it's comfortable, but it sure as hell is boring. So when I think of home in England, it's my sister and the rest of the family there, but predominantly it's my sister and the need to spend time with her when I'm in Toronto home is um, my outdoor friends it's like I can call up one friend like I did last week and it's like okay let's go for a walk and we spend three four hours we both belong to the outdoor club so for us spending three four five hours walking is not a problem in the summer it's get on the bicycle and we're doing 50k home is a place but it's the people who make the place Hi everyone, my name is Anas and for my soundscape composition, I have decided to do my project on my community here in Canada on what life has been here for the past 12 years. Unfortunately, I am leaving here on April 3rd, so I thought it would be a nice way uh, to say goodbye to it. I hope you enjoy. When you think of what community means, you think of this environment that uplifts you. It's a place of memories and challenges and difficulties, but it's also like that place you go for comfort and closure and place to feel loved. It's filled with amazing friends, families, and neighbors. And for me, this place is Canada North. And unfortunately, I have to say bye on April 3rd and move out to Canada South. So buckle up, guys. Hop in your cars, fasten that seatbelt, and let's head on to Highway 417 West towards Canada. I loved living here, it's memories that I've created. I live right behind a school and I was the first batch of grades to attend South March Public School. It was a school that went from JK to grade six and I was the first batch of grade six grads. And I was so prone to hearing the bells, the laughter, the recess of all these kids, even after I graduated South March. And I continued my journey as a student. I went to Jack, I went to West Carlton Secondary School, and then I came to Carlton. But even in those moments, I was able to accomplish so much in that neighborhood. 
I got my first job working as a cashier at Sobeys. Nineteen dollars. I'm trying to pay today. Easy. Okay, you made you made it. You made your money. So these are all mine. Yep, they're all yours. That's what this neighborhood gave me. It gave me that feeling of being accomplished. You know. Another reason why I love Canada North is the sense of like neighbors. We treat each other like families, you know? You could hear people gardening or just, yeah, you'll hear Tim working in his garage or um, you'll have like, you know, some aunties doing their morning walks and you'll have other people on their porches and barbecue season. It, it, it just feels like home and they'll always offer you Hi, good companionship. And for me, like, my background is Bangladeshi um, and we're Muslim. We never felt like an outsider. This is what that neighborhood did. It brought all these positive memories together. But it's even smaller things. It fostered this environment that gave me a sense of belonging. And as a minority, you know, as a visible minority, that's what Canada North did. It never made me feel like an outsider. It was very wholesome and made me feel so loved. And what's even more funny, it's like the high school I went to in the middle of nowhere, I was never once, I never thought I was being targeted for being brown or for being Muslim or for being a bit too feminine. I was always treated with the utmost respect. I was always treated like a human being. And when I hear stories about people who live in Ottawa, who live even in the other side, like Orleans or Barhaven, they never get that. They still feel that gap. But I never felt that. And my family has never felt that. We always felt so loved and which is why, like, when I think of home and when I think of a community, like, this house, even though it's a small house, it's jam-packed with so many amazing memories. Trigger warning. This podcast includes discussions of racism as well as the events of the Atlanta shooting that took place March 16th, 2021. Hello, everybody. I'm Brandon Huang, and I'm a fourth-year communications and media studies student at Carleton University. Due to this global pandemic, I've been confined to the walls of my room for about a year now, and that's allowed for a lot of reflection, especially with all the political movements going on. Lately, the news has reminded me of how alone someone can feel and how much hate there is in this world. The Stop Asian Hate movement has brought forth a lot of emotions that I experienced growing up, and now I finally have the ability to articulate myself. Please join me as I recount my experiences with isolation while growing up Asian Canadian with my cousin Stacy. Here, we'll touch upon the identity crisis that can occur when growing up Asian Canadian, the shooting that happened March 26, 2021, and the effects that it had on our community. My parents were born in the 1960s in a small village in Vietnam that happened to be right on the Chinese border. They lived there with their families in the small rural area until the effects of the Vietnam War started to reach their homes. With the threat of violence getting closer and closer, my parents and their families made an effort to leave the country. Since my parents were already dating at the time, they had to leave their hometowns, they decided that they were going to immigrate to the same country so that they could stay together. They packed up what they could and discussed it with their families. Their families agreed, and now the only issue was the location. When weighing out their options, they decided that the best place to go was probably going to be Canada, as they already had one family member in the country at the time. My parents also believed that Canada would be a great place to build a family. 
Their perspective was that Canada presented more opportunities for education and careers that could have not have been possible in rural Vietnam. When I was a kid, I always asked my parents why they decided to move to Canada. And their answer was always, for you guys, for our kids. That had always resonated with me and my cousin, whose parents always told her the same thing. My parents had decided to settle in Ottawa, while Stacy's parents had decided to settle in Toronto. Even though we had both grown up in different cities, our situations were very similar. Both of our parents had fled from their home countries due to the Vietnam War, and started over from scratch in a language they did not know in an environment that was completely foreign to them. My parents and Stacy's parents had dedicated a lot of time and effort to raise themselves up to get to a place where they were finally comfortable financially. So my name is Stacy Tran. Uh, both of my parents are refugees from the Vietnam War. They're both from North Vietnam in a small province called Mong Cai. I grew up in the GTA, so I'm from Mississauga, so I was lucky enough to grow up in a very diverse neighborhood. But a lot of my extracurriculars, because I was a ballerina, was very white and Eurocentric. I'm first-generation Canadian. My parents were raised in a very, very traditional Chinese-Vietnamese household. So there were a lot of cultural differences when we were growing up. There was quite a lot of different language barriers when we were growing up because I didn't speak fluent Cantonese and then their English also had a few missing vocabulary words as well. So it was often hard to describe to them what I wanted, why I wanted things, why things were important to me and then they had different values to what was important to them as well. So there was always a sense of tension between both of us, but they left a war-torn country and that's important to remember how difficult it was to go through that at such a young age. So both of my parents came here when they were teenagers and had to completely rebuild their lives from absolutely nothing. Meanwhile, I'm born into a very luxe and lavish lifestyle. I never had to worry about when my next meal is coming, I never had to worry about if the bills are getting paid. And then I question how can I ever repay them for giving me such a good life because of the trauma that they face and the trauma that they have had to go through. And I think a lot like immigrant children feel that. We feel the need to be something bigger and better of ourselves. We hear that model minority stereotype, you're only allowed to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. But there's a reason why that is, is because we want to be able to give back what we know we cannot. When I was growing up, I was constantly surrounded by my culture and was proud of it. I went to a fairly diverse elementary school near Chinatown, so I was no stranger to different cultures. It was only when my parents decided to move to the suburbs that I noticed that I was different from my peers. My high school was in a predominantly white neighborhood, so white to the point where I could have counted all the Asian kids on my ten fingers. At the time, I never really processed the little comments that were said here and there about my race. I would often brush them off as if they were all joking. It was only when I grew up that I would notice what my peers were doing to my mentality when they would poke jokes at my race and my culture. A lot of times I was compared to the child prodigies you see online, so especially in ballet, we would be shown a video of these five-year-old girls training and then my teacher would be like, oh, you're Chinese, why can't you do that? Why don't you look like that? You're not Chinese enough then. The small microaggressions like, oh, Sissy, you're so smart because you're Asian. So like, this definitely isn't hard for you because you can just easily learn it. Just the way that I look, the way that I dress, they assume that I'm going to be good at anything artsy and crafty because I'm Asian. They assume that I'm going to bring smelly food to school because I'm Asian. Because I'm Chinese Vietnamese, they look at me and they go, oh, how come your eyes like aren't as small as like my friends? 
oh, like, Stacy is such a white name. How come you don't have a typical Asian name? Things like that. A lot of times people will come up to me and they will say, oh, your English is really good. And I'm like, yeah, I was born here. I don't know why you felt the need to tell me that. And it was always extremely apparent to me that I was not the same as my white friends. There was a period in time when I tried to distance myself from my culture out of frustration. I was fed up with dealing with the comments about the music that I would listen to or the food that I would bring to school to the point where I had an aversion to anything traditionally Asian. I already looked visually different, so I did the best I could to replicate the culture that was constantly surrounding me, whether it was in my school or on television. It became very apparent to me that I was the outlier and I did not want to be ridiculed for it, so I did my best to assimilate. I even started to lose my ability to speak Cantonese because I was too preoccupied with my friends and my proximity to whiteness to care about communicating with my family, which is something I still deeply regret to this day. I remember growing up that I always just wanted to be white. I wanted to have um, very like typical Caucasian features. I wanted to be tall, lanky, and skinny. I wanted to be more pale. I wanted to relate to their culture so badly, and I remember always joking, oh, I wish I was white so bad. I want to speak the same language as you. I want to eat the same food as you, but I was so different, and no one else could relate to my food, my culture, what my discourses with my parents were. So it was definitely really, really difficult just trying to manage that. And I remember always just trying to act more white. I changed the way that I talked. I changed the words that I use. I changed the food that I brought. I changed the clothing that I wore. Anything that I could do just so I could look a little bit more similar in any way, shape, or form. It was only when I started to grow up out of my teens and went to university that I had the first opportunity to learn about and discuss topics of race. Not only that, but I was also able to seek out information about my heritage, and I finally had people to discuss it with. It was only when I heard the experiences of other people did I finally recognize what I was doing to myself and wanted to make a conscious effort to embrace and learn about my culture. I so badly just wanted to see somebody who I could relate to that wasn't just Mulan. And then I think as I grew up and I started learning a little bit more about Asian history from my parents, not from school because school didn't teach you any of that unless it was ancient China, but as I began to learn more about my culture, as I began to make friends with people who faced similar problems, as I began to have more open conversations about what does it mean to be a woman, what does it mean to be an Asian woman in Canada, I slowly started to kind of take that role back and then now in university, it's been a complete 180 where I'm so proud of my Asian culture. I'm very unapologetically Chinese Vietnamese, but it took so much trauma, it took so much self-worth, it took so much self-reflection, it took so many conversations, it took so much education to get to this point. And I was lucky enough where I could find people to have these conversations with. I was lucky enough to study in a program where at least a little bit more modern Asian history is talked about. I'm lucky enough to grow up now where we see a lot more Asians in television where now I'm proud to be who I am. But not a lot of people have the same privilege to say that or to go through those experiences. On March 16th, 2021, there was a shooting in Atlanta that affected the Asian community deeply. A white man entered three different Asian massage parlors, opening fire and killing eight people. It was a targeted attack where the shooter claims that he had a sex addiction, and his goal was to eliminate those salons which he viewed as places of temptation. This reinforces the already harmful stereotypes of the submissive seductress that Asian women have to deal with and was not a justification to open fire on innocent people. The police force in the situation did not make it any better, 
when they claimed that the crime was not racially motivated when he specifically targeted Asian salons. When I heard the news, I felt angry and helpless. You being an Asian woman, how did that feel? My first emotion was I am not surprised and that terrifies me. I think that says a lot about just the overall rise in Asian hate crimes since the pandemic and also just how I feel about gun violence in America and just overall racist, racist tendencies there. And then immediately after, oh, I'm not surprised, it was a deep sadness. And what's important to remember is that within the Asian language itself, we all see each other's family. Whenever you meet somebody new, it's always aunt or uncle. It's always, oh, this elder is my grandpa or my grandma. It's never been something that has been like a family tree, but rather we are all one community. I'm going to refer to you as my family. If you need anything from me, I'm here for you. If you, if I need anything from you, I know that I can rely on you. And because there's such a great sense of community within Asian culture, that is really what hurt me because as I see the victims and as I saw family speaking up about it, I was like, that reminds me of my grandma. This lifestyle reminds me of the lifestyle that I grew up in as well. And I was terrified because my mother also runs a hair salon and I was like, what if that happens to her? Because Canada is not immune to racism. Canada is just a lot more hush-hush about it and that comparably could also be argued as just as dangerous, if not more because you don't know what's gonna happen next. And you see a lot of social media posts saying, please stop picking on elders. They've already lived such a hard life. Pick on me instead. I can take the fight, but please just spare my grandmother, spare my grandfather, because we all feel so connected. After speaking with Stacy, it became apparent to me that one of the main elements of both of our experiences were that we had both never felt like we'd belong to one group or the other. This feeling of displacement and isolation reflects the experiences of our parents as they move to a new country with no knowledge of the language or the environment. That traditional sense of community that Stacy spoke about was lost to the both of us as we ignored our cultures as a method of self-defense. We internalized the harmful narrative surrounding the Asian community and hid away from it, which left us at a crossroads of two cultures where we felt like we didn't belong to either. It was only when we had met others similar to us did we start to have discussions and develop a sense of longing for our own culture that sense of community that had been lost, that we are now trying to actively cultivate a space for where we feel safe and protected. Events like the Atlanta shooting remind us how much we need that sense of community in our lives. But it also helps us center the conversation around the Asian American and Asian Canadian experience, which has been ignored for way too long. Thanks very much for tuning in to this episode of The Place of Sound. But before I sign off, a couple of quick notes. The first is about the Featured Work section on The Place of Sound website. It's a blog that presents some of the individual projects that you will hear or have heard on this show. On the site, you're of course able to play the audio work itself, but you can also see some of the original photos and the writing that students produce to go along with the audio. Since you can't read that writing or see those photos on the radio show, this is a great way to access it. So check that out in the blog section on theplaceofsound.ca. And the second 
is that we've now put together enough episodes that there's a bit of an archive emerging. To listen back to previous episodes, you can find them in two places, on ckcufm.com or on the website at theplaceofsound.ca. In the meantime, keep your ear out for upcoming episodes, which air on CKCU Radio every other Monday at 6.30pm. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Place of Sound.